Designers need to become business-minded. If we don't, we will become irrelevant. Um, eight years of pattern recognition, of hiring designers, suggests to me that this is not obvious to us yet. And it really, really, really should be. Our survival, our industry's survival, the design industry's survival, depends on us understanding this concept. Michael Beirut is a hero in these parts. I mean, AIGA, you know, that's, this is, Michael Beirut is what it's all about, right? He's a, he's a, uh, a design savant for many decades. He, um, he's designed work for the New York Times, MIT Media Lab, the Billboard Magazine, uh, for Hillary Clinton's campaign. He's renowned. And his work captures the imagination. And this past year, he puts out this book. And it's a really good book. Has anyone here read, read How To? Great, a few hands go up. It's a really good book, you should get it. But here's this renowned, amazing designer um, who picks a really peculiar title for his book. How to use graphic design to sell things, explain things, make things look better, make people laugh, make people cry, and every once in a while change the world. That's the title of his book. I love the title of the book. Um, you know, as designers in the design community, the thing that I've seen, I've been designing now for 14 years, and the thing that I see is we index really, really highly on changing the world. That's the stuff we love talking about, right? That's, that's why we get into design in the first place. That's what makes design so special, being able to use our craft, our tools, and our mindset to create products that change the world. Um, but I'd like to suggest that uh, the word sell, you know, it's no mistake that the word sell comes before all of these things. Our ability to sell, that's the a primal part of design. Um, and we'll go through some of the masters and, and their thoughts uh, around selling in design here in a second. But I decided to reach out to Michael and I really wanted to know, you know, this guy, not necessarily known for selling things, but known for creating these amazing, these amazing pieces of art almost. And I wanted to ask him, and I did ask him, how did you know to start the title of your book with the word sell? It almost feels a little crass. It even feels a little crass, you know, standing here at AIGA, this prestigious graphic design conference, and I'm talking about money and business and selling. It feels a little weird. It's my first time speaking here, but it feels a little bit weird. I feel a little bit out of place. But this is an imminent conversation. I promise you, we are way ahead of the curve. In about a year, year and a half from now, I think this will be the topic being discussed, business and design. Anyway, I reached out to Michael and I said, how did you know to use the word sell in your, in your book title? And, his, and I, I tweeted him, and you guys can, can Google the tweet, but um, I love his response. He said, I figured I'd start with the obvious one. It's not obvious. It's just not obvious. But of course, to him, he's been doing it for so long. He's a master. It is obvious. With experience, it becomes obvious. That takes time. It's not something we're taught in schools. It's definitely not something we celebrate at work. We don't celebrate talking about business. We celebrate all the other stuff around design, the making people laugh and the feelings and the changing the world. This other quote, I came across this quote five or six years ago. You know, I read a lot of books and I love quotes. Just, you learn a lot just from a little snippet. Um, Anything that won't sell, I don't want to invent. Its sale is proof of utility, and utility is success. Thomas Edison, a man who could have invented anything, it seems, right? 
decided to focus his energy, his life's work, the body of everything he created on delivering utility. That's what he was all about, delivering utility. And again, it, it suggests the very primal part of design with clear purposefulness in making an object that you design or a widget or a service that you design fit very clearly in someone's life. That is the, the first order of what it is we do as designers. The functionality of it, the deliberateness of it, the reliability of it, and then eventually we get to the beautiful state. But that's the last thing we get to. First, it needs to be purposeful, and it needs to, it needs to, it needs to fit in people's lives in a very meaningful, purposeful way. Um, I did a, a video series, and I'm gonna play a couple of videos from the video series. The video series is called High Resolution. Unlikely that anyone here has watched it, but if you have, raise your hands. Have you guys heard of High Resolution? Literally three hands. Amazing. So I'm getting a new audience here. I did this video series with a friend of mine, uh, Jared Orandu, also a fantastic designer. Um, and we sat down with 25 masters of the design industry. You can go to youtube.com slash higher resolution. You can look at all 25 episodes. Um, and uh, you know, John Maeda is one of the, one of the people that we, we spoke to. And uh, uh, every guest that we spoke to on the series, we opened with exactly the same question. What's one thing about design that's clear to you that isn't clear to other people? And almost every guest gave us a very verbose, thorough answer. But not John. John gave us a very quick answer, and we weren't expecting it. I'm going to play his answer for you, um, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. John, it's great to have you. Glad to be here. So first question, what's one thing about design that's clear to you that is not so clear to other people? Design's about the customer, not the, just the user. Design's always been about selling things, mm -hmm. even back to the era of the Bauhaus but somehow design became disconnected from its capitalistic sort of frame. Okay. Design is about the customer, not just the user. Design has always been about selling things. Throughout high resolution, as we filmed these episodes, you know, I learned to look for the simple ideas. And we talked, I mean, we went deep on data, we went deep on customer journeys, we went deep on business, creating teams, hiring, that sort of thing. We spread the gamut of everything we come to think of when we think about design. But uh, I looked for the simple ideas. You know, Daniel Burka, one of, in, in his episode, he talks about design being the scientific method of a business, and I love that framing. But it's a simple idea, very easy to overlook. Um, Gentry Underwood talks about naive obviousness. And then John Maeda comes around and says, design is about the customer, not the user. And I will say, I, I confess, in the moment when he said that, I was a little annoyed. I really wanted something more. And it was after the episode aired, after a few weeks of me watching it, really trying to understand it, that I finally kind of got it. He's so poignant, so clear with the delivery. Said earlier says, it's not about the users, it's about the human. Well, human in a business context is the customer. And that simple idea, when it finally framed for me, which is why, by the way, this talk is a prototype. I've never done this talk before. I'm framing it around this idea around not users, but customers, and the implications of it, not just for the customer purchasing it, purchasing your product, but also for the business 
who wants to create value for the customer. This next video um, is a gentleman by the name of Phil Gilbert uh, over at IBM. We'll play his video and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him in a second. And I think it's practiced in most places is it's practiced as an other. It's practiced as design, capital D. Uh, and that almost precludes, to some degree, design ever actually having a seat at the business table. Mm. It's, it, it's too often not positioned as a business thing. It's positioned as a design thing. Because if you don't have a seat at that business table over long periods of time, I'm talking decades, mm. your influence will wane because there are other things that will take top of mind. Design is too often not positioned as a business thing. Now, this is coming from a man at IBM who leads a team of many thousands of designers. Four years ago, IBM wasn't even thinking about design the way they do think about design today. And it all happened because the CEO, Ginny, she came to Phil and said, you need to bring design, this thing called UX design. You've got to bring it to IBM. And Phil, an experienced entrepreneur and an experienced designer, you know, takes, takes the lead on bringing design to IBM, not by designing beautiful experiences, but by showing the change in sales and NPS scores and customer satisfaction and return customers. He focused the entire vocabulary of design in words that the business understood. And four years later, hundreds of millions of dollars have been invested into design at IBM. And they're really starting to lead the way on design thinking, IBM design thinking. It's actually some, a school that they've established at IBM because of a lot of the effort um, on getting designers to start thinking about the business. I kind of hope every company can make that level of investment in design. But I, I, I think a lot of people in the business probably need to make, they, they, they need something between the design and the making the leap to the investment of design. And that's something is showing the business how design can drive value. Um, I want to let this slide sit for a second. The long road to design relevance in your company is paved in bricks of business awareness. The masters have already figured this out. The masters stay relevant for decades because they figured out how to sell. It's not just because their work was great. Their work was great because we were sold. We were converted to believe that the work was great. They've been selling the entire time. Design's capacity to survive is tied to selling. But it's up to us to create something of utility, not just beauty. How many people in this room are students? Okay, we've got about 15% or so of the room. How many people practice UX today? actually practice it at work. How many people are looking to practice UX? Wow, okay, so we've got about a 25, 25, 15, and then the rest is, I guess you guys are just learning about UX, right? Um, you know, I've been, as I said, I've been designing for 14 years. I gotta say, the people getting into UX design and, 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 and coming out of school today, man, the, the world was just different eight years ago. We didn't have this Cambrian explosion, so to speak, um, of what, is happening today in the UX world. I mean, think about it. There are products coming out every, feels like every quarter. We've got Adobe, of course, amazing sponsor. We've got Envision. We've got Figma, and we've got Principle, and we've got Framer, 
And every quarter, there's something new coming out that helps us understand the user experience, helps us frame the user experience on a screen. We've gotten so good at using these tools that we can actually fake what good design looks like. Right? That's the, the whole dribbleization of design. Um, but you have to ask yourself, if we're mastering user experience, to what end are we mastering it? I spent some time asking business people. You know, I used to be a WeWork. Uh, I led digital design for WeWork for a few years. I have my own company now. For the past few years, I've really been trying to understand how business people think about user experience. And these are some of the words that come to mind. Apps, interface, interaction and motion, look and feel, architecture, flows. These are the, the words business people use when they think of user experience. You know, five, six years ago, CEOs didn't care about user experience. Now everyone suddenly cares about user experience. But they care about it in the context of these words. And if you really start to drill down, and if you look at a job board, you're going to start to notice a correlation between these words and the jobs that are on the market for designers. You know, you think of a word like apps. It's a product designer. So when a business person thinks apps, they're thinking of product design, you know, interface. UI designer, interaction and motion, prototype or interaction designer, right? Look and feel, a visual designer, um, architecture and flows, information architect, right? Our roles have been designed and fragmented to the words that business people tend to use when they think about user experience design. And all of these, all of these, these roles converge into one thing, one outcome, to create a widget, the best possible widget that you can. Um, I'm a user experience designer, and I think creating widgets with user experience design mindsets using all, the, every aspect of what user experience designers do, from the research to the copywriting, the microcopy, the, the information architecture, and the visual design, all of it matters. All of that matters. But you have to ask yourself, to what end? Certainly can't be just about creating a widget. That can't be the terminus. And as I started putting this presentation together, something became really clear to me. A user seems, a f the, the, the word user seems like a few layers abstracted uh, from what actually matters, which is the customer. The customer is how businesses think about human beings. When you think of a user, you're thinking about someone using your product, but there's, there's an entirely different set of preconditions that lead to someone deciding to download or buy your product. That's the human aspect of it. That's where the real innovation needs to happen, and that's the big opportunity for design. And it's just become clear to me that all of these roles that we've fragmented away from, from what design is has, has caused us to, to layer away, to abstract away the human being behind it. Because when I'm a motion designer, I'm thinking about motion. I'm not thinking about the customer. When I'm thinking about flows, I'm thinking about flows. I'm not thinking about the customer. And so, I think the, the real problem is that specialized roles in design are a roadblock to business progress, and, and roadblocks will always be diminished to near irrelevance. Jared Spool has a, has a great article where he talks about, um, he talks about the role of, um, uh, or the, the binary working relationship between specialized designers and generalized designers, where specialized designers are almost always either overutilized and overworked or underutilized. And businesses tend to think of you as a loss when you're underutilized, when you're not being used in the design process because of your, your specialty is not being beckoned for a specific part of the design process. You are a cost center to the business. And so I'm going to, I'm going to skip through this real quick. 
Uh, and so what we want to impose on you is that generalized design skills, that's the new breed of designer that we need. Not a motion designer, but a general user experience and customer experience designer. That's what brings us closer to the customer. And that's what brings us closer to the business. And I'll explain how. User experience design, one small subset of the customer experience. Almost every other subset in the customer experience is business related. It is not design related. Finance, sales, operations, support, these are not design fields. And by no means will these ever be under the auspices of design. Design is not gonna lead business strategy and pricing. They're not gonna lead the support center. It's just not gonna happen. So the real art then is for design to forge or designers to forge an intentional and specific customer experience through diplomacy across the business, for us to speak the language of the business. As I said earlier, the customer experience precedes the user experience. It is our job as designers to use what we know about design to set the stage for what people will experience in our products, and then to use user experience to resolve the stage that we set in the first place. Some of the words that business people use when they think about the customer, value created, value transferred, pricing, margins, time, conversions. This is the vocabulary we should be designing in. This is, these are the words we should be using inside of companies. If you want businesses to care and invest in design, these are the words they care about. But of course, if we kind of take ourselves out of the situation, we think about the business side, there's the flip side to the business side, which is the customer side. Everything the customer is asking, all the questions that they're asking before they ever experience your user experience and use your product. You know, is this for me? Can I afford this? What else is there? Do I really need this now? Our job as design is to use that diplomacy in the business to influence the answers to these questions. It's not to determine them, but certainly to influence them. I promise you I'm going to run through this very quickly now. Simple order of operations, I'm just going to read slide by slide because I'm not going to be able to improvise better than what I've written on these slides. Design's relevance to a business is a direct correlation to the value transfer from the customer to the business. Money transfer, money's never going to go out of style, guys. It's not crass. It's good. You make money, you finance design. You don't make money, design becomes irrelevant. Money is tied to this. The numbers are tied to design. Being able to sell is tied to design. The customers are more likely to transfer value when your company thinks about the entire customer experience, not just the product experience. The customer experience cannot be deliberately designed without an upfront understanding of the business and people who run it. Our job as designers for the next few decades will be to learn the business language, to understand business people, to partner with them, and to use the design mindset to drive differentiated outcomes for our customer and to drive value that way. Not creating the beautiful thing, not creating widgets, it's tying these relationships inside of the company so that the customer experience can be changed, not just the product flow. You'll know you're doing your job when your customers love to buy your product. When your customer buys your product, your company makes money. This is all part of the order of operations. And this is the, this is the last slide now. And when your company makes money, all your diplomatic work comes home to roost. More money is invested into design, and design in, design's influence grows. But ultimately, of course, why do we do that? Why is that important? Because when design's influence grows, your customer wins. That's all God said.
Um, so what do you do if your design team is thinking that way, but your sort of business side of the business or the company that you work for doesn't understand that value? I know that sounds really fucked up, but like, no, sorry, I, you, you, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, they don't get why we think that's important to know the customer in that way. Yeah, I have two pieces of bad news. The first we is it go. doesn't matter. The first piece is it, it doesn't matter that the business does not know that. Of course the business does not know that. The designers don't know that. And that's the second piece of bad news. And if the designers do know that, there's a really simple way of showing the business reliably that design's value is to the business, not just to create widgets, which is being able to drive numbers. There are very simple ways to show that you can tie your widget outcome to a numbers outcome on the business side. It requires that we reach across the aisle and that we talk to people on the business side. Otherwise, they don't know what we do. It's a lot simpler than you think, but like, it also doesn't matter. The business people don't care. They'll sell either way, with or without us. We need the business more than the business needs us, to be completely honest with you. And that'll flip. It'll flip soon enough. We're just not there yet. A couple years ago, there was a quiz going around that was like, choose A or B. It was two layouts of uh, like a checkout page for a website. Choose, as a designer, which one do you think had a higher conversion rate, A or B? Yeah. And then you'd choose. Um, often I was wrong because you'd you know, choose the one that objectively or subjectively looked better yeah. or was better designed. Um, but the uglier one converted higher. Yeah. Is the uglier one still good design? Yes. Because beauty is, is, is the last order of what design is. This is a very good question and a very important question. Our job as designers is to create functionality and deliver that functionality through utility reliably. And if we can also do it beautifully, then we win. But the business doesn't win because of beautiful design. The business wins because of the utility that we deliver. So uglier design might be ugly to you and I because we're designers, but you know what? The user, the user is God. The customer is God. They've decided. Hi. Um, I'm seeing a huge upswing with especially large corporation Fortune 500 companies that they really hone in on a specialized, you know, either your interaction design or your motion or your visual, and they're very specific on that. Um, whereas I agree with your opinion that we need to be generalists of design, but yes. what are your thoughts on becoming so general that you then become a master of nothing, or how do you navigate around those waters with these big companies? Like, is there a way to make them see what we see? Um, because it's a huge roadblock, and they're missing out on, on fantastic designers because of their mindset. It's, it's such an important question and such a great framing that you have there. Um, I skipped past this slide because I ran out of time. But um, Jared Spool, you know, I mentioned one of his, his, his articles earlier. He has another article where he talks about, um, he talks about doctors. And we tend to think of, you know, specialized doctors. You want a cardiologist working on your, on your heart when you have a heart problem. Except that every doctor who's specialized has to first become a general doctor. You study general medicine before you pick your specialty. I, I worry that designers aren't doing that. I worry that designers are picking their specialty too soon without understanding the gamut and spectrum of what it is their job is and what, it, on what actual tools and skills they need to perform their role as a single, general, purposeful designer on a team. And you know, businesses don't know that. 
businesses don't know that they need a general designer. They're just, they're, they're, they're sheep, I hate to say. They're sheep. The design mature companies understand this. You know, when you're in a design mature company, you can afford to hire specialists because there's so much good work happening at the specialized level. When you start to think of tech companies like Google and Facebook, they need the specialists, right? But 99.9% .9 of companies out there, they don't fall into that category. We need to stop telling ourselves this lie that being a specialist makes us more, more useful in the market. The real use is us understanding the entire spectrum of design and generalizing in that field. And even if your business boxes you as a motion designer or a copywriter, you're not really boxed. You're boxed by your job description, but you're not really boxed because you can still think at the customer experience level. You could still, you know, an org structure does not map to a communication structure. You know, just because you have three layers of bosses above you, you could still skirt all that and go to the, the head of finance and ask him or her how they make the decision about pricing. Why did you pick $99 for this product with a 80% gross margin? That's insane. We should, be you know, we should be charging half that. You don't need to be too greedy. Right? You can have those conversations even if you're, if you're secluded and boxed into a role that you don't love, and then you work your way out of that box. But the work, the impetus is on us. The impetus is not on the business. The onus is on us. It's not on the business. And that's the bad news and the good news. That is the opportunity. And that's what's so exciting about it. It's entirely within our control if we decide to make that mindset shift. Hi. Uh, so to connect all these dots, I agree 100%. But we feel like, how do we prove it every quarter? I mean, that's where we're getting pinned in. Any advice on that? Are you in a public company? Yes. OK, that of makes course. sense, because public companies tend to, think in, 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 <laughs> right. tend to think in quarters. Yeah tech company. Fantastic. Um, how do you prove it every quarter? Well, there's a, if you're in a public company, there's a stock price. Um, if you're in a private company, it's a little bit harder. But I don't, you, I don't think you need to play the quarters game, to be honest with you. We don't want to. Absolutely. I don't think you need to. Even you know, business has to operate at, you know, at a, on, a, on a quarterly schedule. I mean, you guys know this. There, every year, businesses do four earnings calls. It happens at the end of every single quarter. And if you miss your sales margins and you, you miss the, the sales numbers, your stock drops, you know, and the inverse is also true. So, um, you know, what Phil Gilbert said, design having a seat at the business table is a decades-long game. I'm not going to have the magic bullet answer for you for the next quarter. What I can suggest, though, is you can start building those relationships now, and you can start spending time with the business people now, and those chickens will come home to roost. I guarantee it. Relationships is the end game. It's the end. Paul Rand, you know, Paul Rand's quote on what, you know, someone asked him, what do you think design is? Design is about relationships. Our relationship to a product, a person's relationship to another person, a company's relationship to its competitor. Design is about relationships. So we need to focus at the relationship level, and it's not going to happen next quarter. And if your business wants you to prove in the next three months that design is a valuable asset and a competitive advantage to the company, they're out, of their, they're, they're, they're out of their mind. And they're wrong. It's not possible. It's just not possible. And I would urge you to maybe leave. <laughs> maybe. But that's such a great question. Thank you. I don't want to take up any more time. I think I mean, I'm, I'm way over time here. Everyone, let's, let's give Bobby a round. Thank you.